Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Happy New Year, folks. Jack Aram, Just Baseball Show, the first episode of 2023. Today is Monday, January 2nd, and we figured we got to start off 2023 with a bang. So that is why we are talking about the Kansas City Royals today, right? (laughs) Yep. I thought there was no more exciting way to get this thing going this year. Also, we're going to talk about Evan Longoria on a one year to the Diamondbacks, right? We got we've got all we're pulling out all the stops to kick this year off, baby. Uh, also, KBO's Kiwoom Heroes to post Jung Hoo after the 2023 season. So, you know, we, we wanted to save our best bullets and they're all ready to go here on January 2nd. Well, you haven't even mentioned the best bullet of all bullets, and that's that the Cubs are in talks with Eric Hosmer to <laughs> possibly play first base. Hate, hate uh, it, hate <laughs> with a burning passion. I like. I want to. I, I I was looking for something to generate this visceral reaction to open the new year, and I think that was that. Mm-hmm. Hosmer to Chicago makes zero sense, ladies and gents. And I know that he's a friend of just baseball. He's a friend of the Call Up Podcast, but. You cannot look at what Matt Mervis did in minor league baseball. Look at what Eric Hosmer has done since he signed that Padres contract and tell me that Hosmer is a better option to be the opening day first baseman for the Cubs in 2023 than Matt Mervis. Well, that's the thing. So, you know, I think if they're signing a Hosmer, is he at the point now where it's kind of accepted that he is not getting everyday at bats? Like if that is the case, then I can justify it. If he is taking away at bats from Matt Mervis, it's an absolute boneheaded move because here's the number one thing. And aside from the fact that I think you give them both a full season, I think Mervis blows Hosmer's numbers out of the water, even if Mervis struggles a little bit. Yeah. My big thing is why take the ABs away? Cubs most likely not not contending next year. I think they take a big step next year, not contending. Get Mervis 600 plate appearances so that in 2024 – He's ready to go and and hopefully be part of the middle of that order uh, and and help push that team across the finish line. So if Hosmer is an insurance policy, I'm okay with it. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Hosmer's career is at that point, Jack, where it's like he knows that he's probably a bench guy and he's accepting that he's a bench guy. And if that's the case, then do you hate it as much? Uh, right. Maybe not as much. And he is a vet and by all accounts, a great clubhouse dude. I'm just playing a little bit of the devil's advocate here. If he eats into any of Mervis's at bats, I'm I'm out. Just so you yes. know, but yes, 
Correct. So my other line of thinking was, okay, like who else is in the Hosmer ballpark that the Cubs are looking at right now? And according to Bruce Levine with 670 to score, he, he mentioned Trey Mancini and he mentioned Dominic Smith. And I'm thinking, okay, well, like if Hosmer was in a conversation with legitimate starting first baseman or at least platoon first baseman, um, then that's a terrible acquisition. But because you're mentioning Hosmer in the same breath as Mancini, who maybe cost himself everyday reps with with that three month or two month stretch with Houston, right? Like we talked about that. I mean, he kind of he kind of screwed himself in, in Houston. Yeah. So Hosmer, Mancini, Dom Smith, those are not everyday first basemen. I don't even know if those guys are platoon first basemen right now. Like Dom Smith was borderline Syracuse Met at the end of his Mets tenure. So no, I, I think I we're think talking about these guys as backups. Totally. And and Dom Smith's a reverse splits guy. So it could kind of work as like, you know, if Mervis is struggling against lefties. But again, I want to get him ABs against lefties. Mancini's the one I like because look, there would you be shocked if Mancini came out next year and had especially in Chicago, you know, where we know the ball can carry a bit more compared to where he was in Baltimore. If he came out and hit, you know, 25 homers and, you know, put up a 115 WRC plus, would you be surprised at all next year? Like that's the one guy that I think, you know, if you sign Hosmer, you're praying for league average offense and that's it. If you sign Mancini, you're, you're expecting league average offense, but you're hoping for more. And I think it's fair to hope for that, right? Like it's a reasonable, it's a reasonable hope. And that's why I want to like sign somebody with more upside like a Mancini. So hopefully the Cubs do that. He would compliment Mervis. Well, also if Mervis is raking, then you can put Mancini in the corner outfield where he's passable. You can put him at the DH spot. Uh, it makes a little bit more sense there. And of course, a right-hander to compliment the left-hander. That would be way more preferred for me. And again, like I still think Mancini can be a really solid hitter. I, I think he's the one that he's the one that's different from the other two. You know, one's not alike the other, like he stands out from the group. Yes. And and the beauty of Cubs baseball, the beauty of playing half your games at Wrigley Field is you can have, by all accounts, a a bad or average year and still put up gaudy home run numbers. Like Kyle Schwarber, 2017, hit 211, had a 103 WRC plus, had a 1.2 F4 and had a 30 homer season. Like that's the beauty of Cubs baseball. So how about how about like Schwindel or wh- which one? Wisdom was it that hit the, all the home runs? Wisdom hit all the home runs. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull up Wisdom's like weirdest season to this point. I, it's probably 2021, right? Yeah. Um, the other big Wisdom. thing, three teams are interested in Yu Chang. Three teams? Yeah, I'm shocked that there's three teams that As want Yu what? Chang. As a bench bat? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I was just yeah. shocked to see that three teams want Yu Chang. Like Patrick Wisdom this past season, right? 134 games. He hit 207 with a 104 WRC plus and F4 at 1.1. And he had a 25 homer season. Yeah. That could absolutely be Trey Mancini. I think Mancini could be better than that. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) So that's the guy they should sign. There we go. Um, All right, Longoria. I saw Will Carroll, who does great uh, injury stuff. I think his Twitter at is literally at injury expert, Will Carroll. (laughs) Um, And he said, yeah, at injury expert. He's great to follow with all that stuff. Um, But he he said, I'm not that privy to the diamondback system but is evan longoria a bridge to somebody and i think the resounding answer was no like evan longoria this deal might make a teensy bit of sense this year i guess that's just a veteran presence in a very very young lineup which is beneficial because you've got 
Now Moreno added the fold and you've got the first full season of Corbin Carroll and the first full season of Alec Thomas, we hope. And uh, it's an exciting team. And I think they got a little bit more boring, but a little bit more veteran with that signing. Well, you know, and and I think when we were looking at like what what that team's going to look like, um, that would have been a lot of ABs to Rojas, who's going to be moving around to um, like they definitely just needed a little bit more of just like an anchor. And let's let's be honest. I mean, this guy's been pretty good offensively the last two years. It's it's been a matter of health, uh, which is is a big question. I think it's it's come to the point now with with Longoria that probably not an everyday player, right? Probably a guy that you're you're going to play three, four times a week, try to manage his health, but he still slugs, right? In San Francisco, not the easiest place to slug. 451 slugging percentage last year, 482 the year before that. He's only played 81 and 89 games respectively, but if you combine those two, which is almost a little bit more than a full season, right? 27 home runs. He's got like a 330, 340 on base and, and nearly a 120 WRC plus across that span, a 3.0 F4. If you combine the two half seasons that he's just played, I know there's a little bit more to it than that, but I mean, if he gives you this kind of production, your team got better. And and I think for the Diamondbacks, it's almost a level of, I think we know they're, they're not going to be a playoff team, right? But if if they're playing meaningful baseball down the stretch, that's really good experience for Gabriel, Gabriel Moreno. It's really good experience for, for Corbin Carroll, for Alec Thomas, for all these guys to just, just be playing some meaningful baseball down the stretch against some of the best teams in baseball in their division. Um, I, I think they're trying to, to be good next year right and they're focused on being decent next year and look if he's if he's putting up above average offensive numbers there's gonna be plenty of teams that are willing to part with you know like a back end top 30 prospect for him uh, you know at the deadline so might as well cash in on a prospect or two there too so I like it I think they needed some vet leadership Longoria by all accounts is exactly that and it's not like he's totally cooked like this guy still when he's on the field is hitting I just hope he can stay on the field Yes. Um, working around the Diamondbacks lineup real quick, because you got Moreno catching like roster resource on fan graphs and, you know, what we think the opening day lineup is going to be, I think is a little bit different here. They've got Moreno on the bench. Moreno will not be on the bench. No shot. Uh, it's going to be Moreno catching Carson Kelly, DHing, Christian Walker at first, Cattell Marte at second, uh, Nick Ahmed at short, likely. And then you've got Longoria at third or Josh Rojas. Then the outfield left to right is Lourdes Gurriel, Corbin Carroll, and Jake McCarthy. And you've got Alec Thomas, Kyle Lewis, Geraldo Perdomo, who cannot really hit, but a great defensive shortstop waiting in the wings of Nick Ahmed, who we know is a great defensive shortstop. This team is going to be fun to watch. They're going to be a 500 team, but they're going to be fun to watch. Yeah, what's what's interesting is, you know, I think Longo could could end up being that that DH for them in, in a big way instead of Kelly. Like Carson Kelly is going to get at bats. Yeah, I think he will. Um, but that's the cool thing is you can kind of ride the hot hand, right? And I think we've seen teams teams really like to to rotate that DH role unless you've got you know an absolute stud. It, nobody wants someone clogging up that DH role. So, you know, now you can rotate it and use it as a way to, to give guys rest. Like Rojas needs a day off at third. Okay. Longo, he plays third Rojas DH is that day. Uh, Goriel needs a day off in the outfield. Like you can shuffle around, throw someone in the outfield and then, you know, put, put him in, in the DH role. Uh, same with Kelly. If he's swinging it well, but you want to get Moreno to start behind the dish. Cause he works well with a pitcher. <clears throat> Now you can put Kelly in that DH role. So it just allows so much more flexibility for a manager. And I I think we're going to see a lot more teams as we move forward here, use that DH role as like a fluid 
position instead of I'm going to try to sign an absolute masher who's just going to play DH, pencil him in every single day. Uh, I think it's become pretty clear that unless that guy's putting up a 900 OPS, it's a disadvantage to do so. Yes, 100%. Another thing with the Diamondbacks before we get into the Royals and this being their GM episode, where I think we're like wasting as much time as possible before we actually talk yeah. about the Royals. They, they have a surplus. Arizona has a surplus. And like you look at the outfield, one of Alec Thomas, Kyle Lewis, Jake McCarthy is a surplus. Uh, Paven Smith is surplus. Dominic Fletcher, Dominic Canzone, they are both surplus. And then you look at a, a Seth Beer, right? Like he's not necessarily. What do they get from Kyle Lewis? Right. Exactly. So I, I think that you're having a conversation of, of a lot of expendable pieces that you can go get better elsewhere. And I think that can be in the bullpen. Uh, I think that can be, you know, be replacing Rojas, maybe upgrading over Rojas. So, um, yeah, I they've got an opportunity. Hell, maybe even getting a shortstop. Right. Because yeah. you, you got a bridge to Jordan Lawler um, and, and Ahmed and Perdomo might not be the people to do that. But we can talk about the Kansas City Royals now. You in? Yeah, absolutely. The last thing I'll say, too, on the D-backs is I think this is a big year for them to kind of figure out which of those pieces they want to keep, which of those pieces they want to move out. And so only way you find out is through playing a lot of these guys. So I think this is going to be a good year for for clarity and, and just kind of seeing what you've got. As an ode to my affinity for high floor college bats, I believe in Paven Smith. I think Paven <laughs> Smith can be a big league contributor. So I hope he goes and gets platoon reps elsewhere. Yeah, Paven that, Smith feels like a Washington national. He went to Virginia, right? He totally feels like a that. I, I definitely see him getting moved. I, I could, I could tell you that, especially with the emergence of Christian Walker. Yeah. And, and with Seth there. Beer, like providing way more pop than Smith. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. You ready to talk about Michael Massey and co? I'm ready to talk about Michael Massey and co. Michael Massey, who was a revised first round pick in the 2019 uh, redraft that we did on the call up. Um, yeah. The Kansas City Royals are in a really interesting spot because not only has Kansas City had so many guys emerge over the last couple of years in the minor league system. MJ Melendez was the minor league home run king in 2021. Nick Prado is a guy that has been a sought after prospect, but Vinny Pasquantino kind of like leapfrogged him in the fully leapfrogged him. just how good he is Bobby Witt Jr. We know that guy is a rocket ship, but you know, even going to get, get drew waters for a competitive balance round pick um, they've had guys emerge. They have so many flaws. So right now, if all the young guys click, they are a 500 team. Are they a world series contender? If everything goes according to plan with what they have in the organization right now, Absolutely not. So how do we get them on the path to becoming a legitimate contender? Let's find out. The Kansas City Royals have, I think, a bottom six payroll in all of Major League Baseball right now. They're checking in at around $45 million. The Royals are not going to spend. Like, I was I was debating pulling up their spot track page at, at all. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter because they're going to stay low. They already are low. Um, so we're not like bringing the financials into this. We're looking at small moves to make a team that is going to struggle and go through some growing pains, but provide flashes of young brilliance, a little bit more young and exciting. And that, that's kind of the other side of it, right? Is, is another team that just could kind of just use answers in 2023, which is, um, a good and a bad thing, right? It, it's good because it means they have a lot of different players who could step up, right? You know, if Michael Massey, 
is <clears throat> raking through the first half of the season and, and, you know, relatively speaking, like raking, let's say he's got a 110, 115 WRC plus, and we know the defense that he can play. You know, Nicky Lopez becomes that much more expendable, right? Um, you know, or, or vice versa, even if Nicky Lopez is kind of back and performing again, uh, then maybe they can think about something. I think the control of Massey makes Lopez expendable, which we're, we're going to talk about. Um, but I think the step back that Lopez took last year kind of handcuffed them a little bit. So if Lopez also hits a little bit more and Massey's kind of status quo, which is, you know, an, an average hitter with good defense and younger and more controllable, they'll try to move Lopez. So there, there's some interesting spots that they're in. Um, I'm surprised that Michael A. Taylor is still on his team. You know, now if they trade him, if they traded him last year, I think they could have got, you know, maybe a mid-level prospect. Now I think they're going to get nothing but like a lottery ticket. Um, so I was surprised about that. I loved the Drew Waters trade. I think that's a, it's still a dart. You know, you're throwing a dart from pretty far away here, but you know, Waters is super toolsy, was one time a top prospect, you know, top 50, top 100 prospect in baseball, switch hitter, flies, has power, looks good in his big league little stint there, but also, you know, struck out a ton. That's going to come with the territory, but Given where this team was at, I love taking a flyer on an outfielder there because it wasn't just Waters. They also got a pitching prospect that's not bad and C.J. Alexander who can who can hit it a little bit and swing it a little bit in the minor leagues. So, you know, they, they're making all the interesting, quiet moves, but they've got a lot to figure out, I think, in the outfield and, and especially the pitching department. They have a lot of middle infielders, but you got to figure out who are the middle infielders that we're riding with long term. And, um, you know, we were talking about this in, in the chat the other day. And I think our, our guy, Christian Crespo, kind of said out of the blue, he's like, I forgot Alberto Mondesi exists. And, yeah. you know, it's it's actually true. I really was was almost fully out of sight, out of mind with Mondesi. But at the end of the day, he's still 27. He's still he's still on the team. He still has one more year of control, which is crazy. Uh, but he's had flashes of being fantastic, right? I mean, this guy has 133 career stolen bases in 358 games. Okay, but, but he's played 50 games in the last two years. Correct. So what are you doing with this guy? Is he just a bench player for you? Are you trying to start him and see what you get here? Because if he performs well, you can trade him. Um, you know, what? what is your plan with Alberto Mondesi, with somebody like Nicky Lopez, Michael Massey, like I just want to know kind of who stays, who goes. And the problem is none of these guys are really valuable enough to to move the needle. So this is where you some sort of trade, I think, for and it doesn't have to be now. Like this GM episode, I think, is also kind of spills into 2023's midseason, you know, the deadline as well. Yeah. How can we acquire controllable pitching? should be the number one question for the Royals moving forward here because they got to fit the timeline too. And I think the offense is, is pretty close to, to coming together and being competitive in the next couple of years. That's why I want to start with the lineup because I think the lineup has a lot fewer questions than the starting rotation and the bullpen. And I think if we're going to make any moves, it's going to be to enhance the starting rotation because we know how bad the Royals are at developing pitching over the last couple of years. And uh, we'll start with the lineup, but just as a as a precursor, like the names that we're going to throw out that could be Kansas City Royals that we think would would benefit the Royals by adding them into the fold are not sexy names at all because not only do they not you know significantly escalate the payroll like they're mm-hmm. never going to go out and sign that thirty million annually free agent, but they also don't have pieces that are worth mucho dinero. You know what I mean? Like no. they, they don't have the. Um, they, do, I mean, shit, dude, like they don't have the Dalton Varsho that, that is expendable. Um, so the lineup is pretty set 
but again, there are a lot of questions that will be answered in 2023. But Sal Perez, 32 years old on opening day, he'll turn 33. Um, he's still on the books. He's got a club option of 13 and a half in 2026. So he's here for the overwhelming future, right? Like Sal Perez is kind of the catcher. MJ Melendez will get him off his feet. Uh, Vinny Pasquantino is the first baseman with Nick Prado backing him up. Um, second base right now, it's it's Nicky Lopez. You got Mike Massey there as well. Bobby Witt is the shortstop. Adalberto Mondesi slash Hunter Dozier are the third baseman. And then the outfield from left to right projected on opening day is Drew Waters, Michael A. Taylor, Edward Olivares with Nate Eaton as the fourth outfielder right now. And then you got Kyle Isbell as the fifth outfielder maybe. So I like this lineup is not good. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> But there's some stuff to watch here. Like if you were to try and upgrade any spot, is it is it second base with Lopez and Massey? Is it one of the outfield spots with Olivares slash Isbell? Outfield, 100%. Because really you're looking at the outfield right now. The only, the only guy that's coming up through the pipeline in, in the next two years that I look at and I'm like, okay, this guy could be an everyday player is – Tyler Gentry and Tyler Gentry is far from a top, top, top prospect. You look at the numbers, what he put up in, in high A and double A last year, high floor guy that, that could be an above average regular. And it's been so bad in the outfield that they moved Nick Lofton to center field where, you know, he could be an option for them in the outfield. He struggled in triple. Um, I think he could be a decent option for them too, but nobody that's coming up and you're like, okay, this, this guy's going to make an impact. Right. And again, that's why I like the drew waters flyer and we'll see how he does. Um, I still think Kyle Isbell can be a, a decent outfielder. He's probably more of a fourth outfielder, but a fantastic defender in both corners, pretty solid in center, has some a little bit of juice. He, he had a really nice debut in 2021 and then struggled pretty mightily in 2022. Um, so we'll see what he does this year, and I think he's going to get an opportunity to get a lot of ABs. Um, and I think he's going to cut into some of you know Michael A. Taylor's playing time and, and Edward Alvarez as well, just so they can see what he had, what they have there with him. But you got to be looking for an outfielder, I think, you know, when you're looking at this team in a year or two from now, Michael A. Taylor is a free agent who yeah. isn't great, but is probably one of your most consistent outfielders. At least, you know, he's a great defender and you, you know what you're going to get at least close to league average offense from him around a 90 to 95 WRC plus uh, outfields, the biggest spot, because when Michael A. Taylor is gone, you almost have to, you almost don't even know how you're going to fill it out. How do you fill out that outfield? I, I don't even know. Um, you're praying Tyler Gentry and then Lord knows. Yeah, I mean, like you and I both like Kyle Isbell because um, he's dynamic, but Kyle Isbell's like not an opening day center fielder at this point. No. And, and, no. and he could change that narrative about him. Maybe in next year. Yeah. But I, it, it's hard to see that world. And he's already 26 years old. He's going to be 26 on opening day. Uh, Eaton is 26 on opening day as well. So, yeah, they got to upgrade. I, I don't think they have to address that this year, though, because that was going to be my question. Guys. That was going to be my question because I would say how much urgency really is there? Because you can go into this year and nothing that you're going to do in the next couple months or more is going to really change anything for this season. Um, So any move you're making is in the best interest of of long-term control. Right. And if they can address the pitching, which I think is harder, um, but if there's a trade opportunity to address the pitching – I feel like you can you can answer the outfield, you know, in free agency. And that could be the one spot that they spend, right? Because we're talking about control. And we always do this, right? Where we go through the lineup. <clears throat> Who are the locks? MJ Melendez, lock. 
And he's going to play outfield. He's going to play pretty much anywhere except for catcher when Salvi's catching. And then when Salvi's DHing, he'll catch. Guess what? Salvi's not here forever. A couple more years, and then MJ's going to probably take the reins at catcher. Yeah, so MJ's like already well into arbitration when that happens. Which is crazy, which is crazy. Um, but I think they're going to start to phase Salvi out of the catcher's role a little bit this year, which we'll see. Um, Bobby Whitlock, obviously Salvi lock, Vinny Pascantino is a lock. That's pretty much it, right? Those are the only locks as we move forward for the next, you know, beyond this coming season. I don't know if I could point at anybody and say this guy is a guarantee to, you know, be in the lineup in 2024 and beyond. So uh, I think that kind of tells you where they're at. Can I ask but you what do you what do you think is easier to acquire? Is, is is it signing the pitching or is it is it signing the outfield? I think trying to trade for controllable pitching and then signing outfield pieces here and there is is the way to go. I think that's the right way to do it. Can I ask you one question before we move to the pitching? Yep. Where does Nick Prado fit in to the twenty twenty three Kansas City Royals? Ah, uh, I I don't really know. Um, that's that's the craziest part because your your DH spot is clogged. Nick Prado's a Great deal of Nick Prado's value comes from the glove. If you want to move Vinny to the DH spot, you can. But guess what? You got Salvi there and MJ kind of interchanging. And, and when MJ is catching, you need to have uh, Salvi in the DH spot. So for me, it's trade chip. The problem is, and this is always the big struggle with teams, is you call a guy up and he doesn't do great. You, you just slash his trade value a little bit. Nick Prado went from consensus top 100 prospect to you know, an afterthought to some, and I, that doesn't mean his career is doomed. It just kind of shows you like where things are at now. He got lapped at his own position in his own org. If you're a first baseman and you get leapfrogged in, in the pecking order, if you're a first base prospect, that's not good, right? And so, when you are not the best first base prospect on your own team, I know Vinny graduated, but but you know the point kind of stands. Um, it diminishes your value a lot. So I, I think they're going to hold on to Prado for the year. I think he starts in triple. And if he puts up big numbers, which he should in Omaha, but he honestly took his his struggles over to AAA too. Um, if he can bounce back, show some good numbers, I think that he could easily be one of their better trade chips, given that the system's not great. Um, and Prado still does have prospect pedigree, uh, but last year was extremely disappointing in a lot of ways. Yeah, man. I mean, he, yes, he had a 120 WRC plus in Omaha in 82 games, but that's because he walked all the time. He had a 16% yep. walk rate, but he struck out 31% of the time. He had 17 bombs in 82 games, but it, it's pretty easy to hit homers at, at Werner Park in Omaha. No, like, it's definitely concerning. Yeah, I mean, it's it's concerning. So the swing and miss is there. It, it actually got worse. Like mm-hmm. the last time he had a K rate over 30%, he struck out 35% of the time in high A as a 20-year-old in 2019. That was pre-COVID. So this post-COVID was the worst swing and miss season he's had in his career. And and you can't feel great about that. You know what I mean? Like he played 49 games at the Royals at the major league level. He had a 36% K rate. No, that's what I'm saying. He, he really, really hurt his value. Hurt his value a lot. So are you going by low pitcher for by low hitter? Like it, it's hard to fathom that. So we'll talk about the by low pitching options, but just running through, I mean, you, you want to get sad about the Kansas City Royals here. We talked about, you know, everything that's positive about this lineup and the locks that you see in 24 and beyond. The starting rotation right now, Jordan Lyles, who they just signed to a free agent deal. Brady Singer, who's legitimately good, like we talked about. Uh, Ryan Yarborough to a one-year deal. 
Brad Keller and Daniel Lynch with Chris Bubich waiting in the wings. This is a terrible rotation. Yeah. Yeah. And and real quick too, I want to to wrap the bow on the uh and tie the bow on the outfield situation. I, I there's probably four free agents next year that all scream Kansas City Royals to me. Listen to this group and tell me you couldn't envision almost any of these guys being a Kansas City Royals except for except for one or two. Uh this is 2024 free agents. Mark Canna, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Max Kepler, Manny Margot, Tyler O'Neill, no way, uh, Victor Robles. Eddie Rosario, Anthony Santander, Juan Soto, Alex Verdugo. So I could see their big splash being Alex Verdugo, but I could also see a Mark Canna to bridge as they try to figure out, you know, the long-term options there. Max Kepler seems like a great fit out there. Uh, I could even see Margot out there, but um, the, the, they can finally, like any uh, two of those guys or, or one of those guys is, is definitely going to help them in the outfield, probably better than anything they're going to trade for. On the pitching side, dude, um, I think they're just – taking one more year and praying, praying that one of Daniel Lynch, Brad Keller, or even hell Jackson Coar <laughs> make the leap next year, which the only guy that I'm holding out a little bit of hope for is Lynch. Um, Lynch has always been the guy I've liked the most out of this, out of this group outside of Brady Singer. And um, it was a tough year for him, but I, I wouldn't say it was a flat out disaster. Uh, the five one three ERA not great, but he punched out one twenty two, walked fifty two. Uh, he's kind of missing that third pitch to get righties out. But he's twenty six, just turned twenty six. First round pedigree has had some really good stretches in the minors. Um, the walk speed going down was was good for him. That's that's the one guy that I'm like kind of waiting to see how he does. But other than that, dude, like this is another one where you look at the farm system. Asa Lacy's a disaster. Uh, you look at. Some of the other guys that might be coming up through the pipeline. I love Ben Kuderna, but he's 19. Frank Mazzicato, exciting, but struggled mightily and also as far as hell away. He's 19. Yeah. Um, they they don't really have any pitching prospects that you can say, hey, this guy's knocking on the door and ready to go. I mean, we get to the back end of their top 10 or top 20 prospects, and the guys that are closest, are it's, it, it's a curve of like the lower level guys, highest upside. And then the upper level guys are Cox. all struggling. Austin Cox, right? Yeah, they're all struggling too. Jonathan Boland, six ERA. Asa Lacy, disaster. Uh, like it, it's it's TJ Sakema who they traded for, disaster. Um, it's it's rough. It's really really rough. Um, the only other arm I still am holding out hope for at the big league level, and I think he's a reliever though, is is Alec Marsh. So they're in a weird spot. And they've got to figure things out. I will say one one underrated move that they made that I think could be an outfield option for them that just before I forget um, is, is Samad Taylor. Uh, I think Samad Taylor could be an, an interesting uh, an interesting option for them if he can hit enough. Uh, I liked when they picked him up. I thought that was a sneaky move. That's a guy that could end up being an outfield option for them. He's just been a pretty consistent hitter. I think 759 OPS his entire minor league career. Steals bags. You know, can mix in 10, 12 home runs, but he's just a good ball player, versatile, almost like a Whit Merrifield light light um, in terms of can play infield, can play outfield. That's a guy that I'm actually holding out hope for. But other than that, yeah, it's it's rough. So on the pitching side, I I would put my eyes on like an Andrew Hoffman who also came over in that in that trade. But guess what happened? He comes over. He gets to double A with the Royals, 6-6-4 ERA. Yeah. Two, three, six, and high A before that. 
So it's like even the guys that I kind of liked and tried to talk myself into earlier in the season have all struggled. Beck Way might be the best bet for some for this system in the next year now, which is crazy. He came over from the Yankees. So <laughs> they're just in a really, really weird spot. No, I and I've tried to talk myself into Coar for the last couple of years, but nah, Jackson yeah, yeah. Coar, I mean, dude, like the walk numbers ballooned, the strikeout numbers dissipated in, in more innings uh, at the minor league level. I mean, he was walking like five guys per nine at, at the minor league level. And when he would get up to the major leagues, he had seven relief appearances, I want to say, and he was walking like six and a half guys per nine. Um, I I think the only hope of of generating some momentum on the mound in-house is from this new president of baseball operations, J.J. Piccolo. I'm not sure if that's how you say it, Piccolo, Piccolo. Um, He took over after Dayton Moore was let go. Um, He was already the, the GM as of September 2021, but Dayton Moore was let go this past September, uh, and Piccolo he, he takes over as the president of baseball operations. So there has to be a change in development on the mound in-house, or you have to go try and get other guys. And I want to talk about those other guys now, because I'm I'm trying to think around the league, controllable pitching. You mentioned, you know, hey, they could be a trade partner with the Miami Marlins. Like you could move one of these outfielders and you could go get pitching. But we have the Pablo Lopez and, and Trevor Rogers conversation about the Marlins. We're having the conversation about some different starters with the Marlins when it comes to the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, there's there's a level of, you know, the Marlins are trying to figure out what they want to do in terms of what they want to get, right? Like, and, and the Marlins are pretty hell-bent on getting big league pieces. And Craig Mish has said that publicly. I know he's he's talked about how the Marlins, you know, they don't want prospects right now. They're not interested in that. And so that's what makes this these teams a tough match. Um What's interesting, though, is I think the Marlins have, you know, two different options here, right? You trade a Trevor Rogers, you're looking for an impact big league bat, right? You trade a Pablo Lopez, you're looking for an impact big league bat. Uh, but the problem is nobody that's trading for two years of control of Pablo Lopez is going to trade an impact big league bat. They're going to try to trade you prospects, right? So Trevor Rogers is is that one guy that you're trying to to trade to teams that, you know, are trading control for control, um, but, you know, the, the problem is with that is the Marlins can't trade Trevor Rogers to the Royals because the Royals don't really have anything that can that can match it. The, the only way that that trade would, would work is if there's a MJ Melendez involved or Vinny Pascantino, which neither of them are going anywhere. So I think you got to look at the second tier for the Marlins, which is Braxton Garrett. And I think the Marlins have been willing to talk about him in, in certain spots, but it, it's got it's got to that like if it's a second tier player, then maybe they can you know, make a second tier trade. And, um, you know, for the Marlins, that's where I don't know if they can justify it even with Braxton Garrett, because even if he's a low four ZRA guy with the years of control, he has, he's still pretty valuable. You're not just dumping him to dump him. It's not like an Ian Anderson who we're going to talk about. Right. So it's a tough spot for the fish because you want to make a move. And if you don't want to part with one of your studs and Trevor Rogers, like you're not going to trade just to trade. A Braxton Garrett deal is probably the most likely match with the Royals, but what do the Royals have to offer? I think Michael A. Taylor would be, you know, a great option for the Marlins, but Michael A. Taylor has very little trade value at this point, right? He has one year of control. Um, and it it's after that, you know, he's a free agent and he's a hometown kid. He's from Fort Lauderdale. Um, he he would help the Marlins in center field without a doubt. He's a phenomenal defender out there. And, and I think even if he gives you a 90 WRC plus, that's an upgrade from what they were getting out there. But like you're not trading Braxton Garrett for Michael A. Taylor. So how do you find 
a trade? Like, how do you put one together if you're the Royals? That's the question. The Marlins, you know, do, do they have an interest in Nick Prado? Probably not. He's not that far off from what Lewin Diaz was for them. Elite defender, big power, walks a lot. Is he going to hit enough at the big league level? Lewin Diaz put up great numbers in AAA. So it would kind of be redundant to, to DFA Lewin, who has po- the poor guy's been DFA'd eight times now. Yeah. And then go go get a Nick Prado in a trade for one of your controllable starters. That seems like the epitome of making a trade just to make it. So right. how do the Royals put together a package, I think is the big question. And that's the hardest part. Yes. And that's why I think they have to be very strategic with who they go after. And I think they have to try and buy guys whose stock will never be lower. And that's why my eyes go to Atlanta and Ian Anderson will throw up Bryce Elder in there as well, because Bryce Elder has been phased out. And Elder is cut from the Kyle Muller cloth, where Kyle Muller is going to Oakland. Muller will throw 150 innings this year. He's durable as shit. He's a pitchability guy. Like, there's there's a non-zero chance that Kyle Muller can put together a four ERA across 180 innings this year. And He might be their best pitcher this year. Yeah, and that's what young teams with minimal to no pitching like Oakland has no pitching Kansas City has next to no pitching aside from Brady Singer um that's what those teams need they need guys that you know are are better than the sacrificial lamb that Washington is running out with Patrick Corbin and Yoana Doan so you go to Atlanta and and you think about their pitching surplus and you try and give them um some offensive help right now Atlanta is running out Freed Kyle Wright Charlie Morton Spencer Strider Mike Soroka that's Excellent. And then you go to the depth and you've got Ian Anderson, Bryce Elber, or Bryce Elder, Kobe Allard, Darius Vines. I mean, Jared Schuster is not far away and Schuster's the best of the bunch. So Anderson should be available. Elder should be available. Let's put something together for Ian Anderson. I'm struggling, man. Yeah. It's Ian hard. Anderson had a five flat ERA in 111 innings. Walked 54 guys in 111 innings. That is not Ian Anderson at all. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think he needs to change the scenery. It's just like, oh, that's the, the scenery might be getting worse when it comes to helping you uh, figure out whatever's going on on the pitching side of things if if you're going to Kansas City. But again, it's 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 a new uh, new regime there. So you have to hope that, that they're able to put, put something together and help them out here. I, it, here's my struggle. What would the Braves realistically want? You know, what What would the Braves want from this Royals team for an Ian Anderson? I feel like for them, they're looking at Ian Anderson as, as maybe a trade chip. If if he's throwing well in triple or he's making some spot starts and, you know, regains even 10% of his trade value, they're going to probably want to to make a move for him or with him at some point during the season. And I think that this trade for, with the Royals could come during the season, like a trade period with them, because I, I think – if, if Michael A. Taylor is swinging it, you know, that's a guy that more teams might start calling on. If Mondesi looks healthy, that's a team that or a player that more more teams might even just start taking a flyer on. Same with with Nicky Lopez, as we mentioned earlier. So looking at the Braves, right, they're going to play Grissom at short. And so, like, if you acquire somebody, you don't want that player to be an everyday guy because you want to get Grissom reps there. But you want kind of a backup plan in case Grissom struggles. But then on that same side of things, is anybody that isn't an everyday shortstop type, is he going to be able to net you even an Ann Anderson? And that's that's the question. Because I look at the Braves, they need two things. They need an outfielder, like a left fielder, because it's Eddie Rosario slash 
uh, Marcelo Zuna, I guess, which is ridiculous. Um, and then that that's really it. They need a shortstop. So what could the Royals put together to go get an Ian Anderson? And is it worth it for them to part with a prospect or two to do so? Because the Braves could be interested in, of course, just juicing up the farm system a little bit and just kind of dumping in Anderson for a change of scenery type move. Uh, it'll free up a spot on the 40 man for them too. If, if they do dump him for prospects, but is that worth it for the Royals who you know don't want to diminish the farm, but on that same, with that same notion, I don't know if there's an arm in the upper that's pitched above high a in this entire system that I like more than Ian Anderson upside wise. It's not even close, honestly. Like I think Ian Anderson, if he was somehow, if you could still rate him as a prospect, <laughs> I'd put him above almost every single guy not named Ben Kuderna. Um, and, and that's that's the struggle of where they're at right now. Maybe a change of scenery for change of scenery. You, you ship Asa Lacey out. So I was thinking, how can how can Atlanta enhance their big league roster this year in exchange for Ian Anderson, right? Because this lineup, yeah, obviously they've got like, they just opened a fucking eight year window with all these pre-art deals. So they're fine. Like they're going to be really good for a really long time, but how can you help them win right away? I don't think Atlanta is looking to bolster their farm. I, I don't think they're willing to add an Asa Lacey because they, they frankly don't need Asa Lacey. They, are, they already have a pitching surplus they're trading from that pitching surplus. The starting lineup, like you mentioned, is set. Now, what I will say is this lineup is very right-handed. Ozzy Albies is not a good lefty bat as a switch hitter. And the lefties that you got right now are Olsen and Harris, Locks, and then Eddie Rosario and Sam Hilliard is on the bench right now. So how can you get a little bit more left-handed? How can you hedge this righty-heavy lineup? And, you know, Lopez could go if they want to add a shortstop, but... If you pair Nicky Lopez with one of these two left-handed bats, I think it might be enough to get Ian Anderson done, and that is buying low on Prado, who has experience in the corners, or Kyle Isbell, who could be that speedy, dynamic fourth outfielder, hey, maybe even fifth outfielder, if they want to keep Hilliard or Jordan Luplo ahead of Isbell in the pecking order. So I'm going to pitch Nicky Lopez and Nick Prado for Ian Anderson. It's interesting because you know the Braves did just claim Lewin Diaz, and I think they did because they you know they wanted they were interested in, in like a depth first base piece and 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 Prado and they DFA'd him afterwards. So they, yeah. it seems like they have an interest for a left-handed hitting first baseman. They put a waiver claim in on him. The only reason that they DFA'd him is because they had to make room for another player. So right. to, to me, that's a little bit of a tell that maybe they have some interest in a left-handed hitting first baseman who can who can pick it a little bit. I, and as I think of right now, their backup first baseman, Matt Olson plays all the time. He had near damn near seven hundred plate appearances this year. Like you are hoping that he puts together the Freddie Freeman type season where he plays 162. Matt Olson will, if he's healthy, he'll play 162. Um, so you're looking for a contingency plan. And as of right now, it's Luplo at first. Um, but I, I think Prado would be great because he can play left, he can play right, but obviously he's a gold glove caliber first base. Well, when they can stick him in AAA, you know, work with him. And again, this is an org that that really is, has helped their guys put it together offensively. So again, this is like change of scenery for change of scenery. My only question for you with Nicky Lopez is, is he better than Orlando Arcia? No. I think yes. I think I think for them. I think no, actually. So then why are you making the trade? Because. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think he is though, because hear me out. What, what, like Arcia is a better hitter. 
obviously. Nicky Lopez is a pretty dreadful hitter. But you're you're getting Nicky Lopez as an insurance policy at shortstop and really as a as as a glove that you can move all over the diamond. He's a heck of a defender. I mean, he he put up Nicky Lopez, it's gonna be one of the best trivia questions ever. Nicky Lopez put up a 5.9 F4 season last year or 2021. That's insane. Last year, 1.2, but he's playing a lot of second. He's much better defender at short, which is weird. Um, I just like, I, if I'm the Braves, I'm declining the shit out of that. Damn. Okay. How about that for Elder? How much different are they in value at this point, Ian Anderson and Bryce Elder? I think Anderson is a... Anderson probably has more value because of what he's done at the big league level, right? Like Ian Anderson is a, I mean, this guy is already a, a postseason stud. You know what I mean? He's 24 years old and he's a postseason stud. Yeah. So I feel like that enhances his value, at least to the naked eye. I'm not sure how the Braves view those two, but I feel like if you were to ask me who has the greater value, it's Anderson and it's by a margin that that you can see. It's not by this by the thinnest of margins. Um, how about who's more valuable, I, Nicky Lopez or Mondesi? I Lopez, Lopez. Lopez but uh, Mondesi, honestly, dude, I'm looking at Arcia. Stuff. I'm yeah. looking at Arcia. I'm like, yeah, he he had that like not. He, if it weren't for the two weeks he had last year, oh, he was great for those two weeks. That's it, though. And and you look at the rest of his career, he's been pretty terrible, aside from 2017. That is the one good season he had in, in Milwaukee. Um, the Braves might the Braves might see Lopez as an upgrade. Um, and, and again, as a left-handed bat, uh, he, he might be an upgrade for them, realistically. So I, I guess there's a chance. I would do it for Elder, not Anderson, though. Okay. So we'll, we'll call it Elder. There's another guy in Milwaukee that I want to mention, actually. And is is that too much? No, no. Like Prado, what is the value of a Nick Prado at this Dude, point? Should we go to the trade machine? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the trade machine that I think has Nick Fortes at like the same value as ugh, I think Nick Fortes at like an eighteen something value, which no is way. nuts. I swear, because <laughs> of his WAR per like game at this point, he's like weirdly only hitting the majors. The PER um, legend. The who's the PER player efficiency rating legend in the NBA? Is isn't uh, Taco Fall like a PER legend? I honestly don't know. I love I love the guys that break the system though. Yeah. Um, I would say Nicky Lopez. Like Prado's a lot like like Prado. I, I just don't know if they want to sell low on him, but. Maybe they got to. If you're getting a starting pitcher like Elder, maybe it's worth it. Can, I just feel like Nicky Lopez, Lopez might Isbell get it done for Elder. What is, I don't want to trade Isbell from them at all. That's like one of my only outfielders for 2024. Lopez and Lopez and Eaton. Nate Eaton. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, all right, Lopez and Prado for Elder. Yeah, yes. just call it that. And throw in a mid-level prospect from the Braves, and we'll call it a day. Shit. Okay, another guy that could just immediately make it a more enjoyable watch is Adrian Hauser, who has been phased out of the Brewers' starting rotation because, as of right now, uh, the five are Burns, Woodruff, Lauer, Peralta, Ashby. Like that is very much so set in stone. And then in terms of guys that are really close, starting pitching wise in that system. Uh, Ethan Small, Jansen Junk, Robert Gasser is really close and really good. Tobias Myers is going to be a non-roster invitee for them. Um, like they have 
a lot of options. I mean, hell, dude, even a Caleb Bosley, who's 29 years old, he was really good in AAA last year. So, you know, you're looking at a pitching surplus again in Milwaukee, and we've heard the rumors, uh, you know, Xavier Scruggs said on this show that he thinks that the Brewers are going to move Corbin Burns. They could absolutely move one of those starting pitchers. But Hauser is, he had a 470 RA in 102 innings last year. This is another buy low guy, but we know that Hauser, who's going to be 30 on opening day, Hauser is a guy that rolls ground balls when he's right. He had a 59% ground ball rate in 142 innings in 21. I think this could be a guy that that makes the Royals rotation better and a bit more veteran right away. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a move that helps a lot. Um, definitely helps them a lot, and I, I, he he's gonna be right now kind of like that innings eater, like random guy you throw out there uh, for for the Brewers, pretty much like mop up duty at this point. So I don't think it would require much. It's just more like what what would the Brewers need? I think the Brewers are a team that would absolutely have interest in Nick Prado. Yeah, um, that you know they, they've got Rowdy Telez, they've got John Singleton. Right. I think, or did Singleton sign elsewhere at this point? I don't even remember. No, I think Singleton's there. He was added to the 40 man. Yeah. Yeah. Singleton's there. Singleton's there. But, you know, I, I, that's almost exactly the, the landing spot I would love to see for Prado. I, I I think Telez is fine. Um, but I think, I think Prado, his back could play up there. We know what the glove can do there. And, uh, Telez hit 219 last year. So it's it's not like, it's not like it's, it's, that much of a role to, to fill in a year from now. And and the Brewers prospects have done really well offensively. Uh, that's one where I would almost want to aim higher than Hauser, but I, I don't see them parting with, with really anybody else on the pitching side as I'm looking through like their entire, I mean, Ethan small, do you see them parting with Ethan small? No, because I feel like they'd be selling low on small. Yeah, they would. They would definitely be selling well on Ethan Small. Just again, like if I'm parting with with him with with um Prado Prado, I just you need more than Hauser. Yeah, Hauser is like a just kind of a, a whatever filler. I you know, I think Small, like yeah, they're kind of selling low, but at the same time, maybe they're not. Like he walked five per nine in triple last year. Um, struggled in six innings at the big league level for whatever Shit. that's worth. I would take Hauser and Ethan Small for Prado. Prado, yeah. Hauser, Ethan Small. Hauser, Ethan Small, Prado. I think I think it would have to be like Ethan Small for Prado straight up. So sad, dude. Ethan Small for Prado. I, I'm in. Ethan Small for Prado or Hauser yeah. and Small for Prado? I don't think Hauser. No, nah, it's too much. How about how about Prado and a high A bat for Hauser and Small? Here's the thing, though. Now, if you're the Brewers, all of a sudden now your pitching is much thinner. For for what? Just for Nick Prado and a high A player? This is so. I can't believe we're opening the new year like this. This is going to be such a <laughs> shitty year if we're talking about this on January two. <laughs> Small for Prado. Done deal. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. So gross. All right. That's the Royals. Like they didn't get much better. I feel like we're going to have so many questions answered though. In the first couple months of 23. Yeah. Why'd we do one on the Royals? <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was a good idea last night. Maybe we were still reeling from new year's Eve. I have no, idea. I was, I was still reeling. I mean, like we wanted to do every team and this is a team that's far from done. And I think if anything, if anything, we've properly highlighted what the fuck they have to figure out. <laughs> 
Like, that's the thing. I don't think, like, everyone loves to talk about the Royals as, like, this team that has a really young core and is exciting and all that stuff. Like, yeah, sure. Dude, they still got a lot of shit to figure out. Like, I, I, so I hope that this episode helped illustrate that. Because <laughs> within this episode, all my New Year's resolutions have failed already. <laughs> what what were they? I don't know. Uh, just not talk about the Royals or something. <laughs> I failed. Like, but sucks. here's the thing, man. Like, this is a team that people are trying to put like in the same breath as some of the other young, exciting ball clubs, and like, they're not. And, and, and I don't know do if I realized more. how bad it was until we did this fucking episode. Until they do more. They are not here, but they have to do more. They have but here's to- the problem. We, we were barely able to do anything. How do you okay. do more? Flip expiring players who have strong starts to 23. You know what the real answer is to me, and, and they just won't do it, is trade Salvador Perez. They, yeah, they won't do it. No shot. Stupid. Trade him. Shit. He's one of their only sign- valuable trade assets. You know what? Go sign Hosmer to be the bench coach. Yeah. Special advisor. Uh, there is, it's an absolute lock. If I had to set odds, it'd be like minus 100,000 on Eric Hosmer to be a special advisor to the GM when his playing career is over in Kansas. So basically, we just said, let's run it back with the same team, but we added either Bryce Elder and or Ethan Small. Ethan Small. That's so sad. And, but honestly, again, we just spent an hour explaining how hand, like how tied the the Royals hands are behind their back with with what they need to do here and really the only way to do it is just see how things go this year hope some guys emerge and and try to get creative that's why I'm you know I, I like the Drew Waters move and I like the Samad Taylor pickup and yeah. that's why they're kind of working between the margins here so we'll see what else they can kind of pull off but uh, I think it's very clear the Royals are not in the best of positions, even with this, you know, young trio or, you know, young trio of bats with Melendez, Witt, and, and Vinny Pascantino. It's, it's still pretty rough. Content's content, man. We put out content. We, we got an hour of stuff. Um, if you want to listen to something that is much more loaded, um, I would recommend going to the call up and, and listening to the 2019 redraft. That was so much fun. And that's a, a loaded draft already with established major league guys and some of the top prospects in baseball already. So that's the call up. Uh, great stuff on the site. As always, it's going to be a fun year for the Just Baseball Show, man. Me and Peter will be back to talk to you guys tomorrow. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.